0: Living Local, telling the stories that connect us. A United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County podcast.
1: Today we're sitting down with Charles Russell, who first shared his story with us through a blog uh, for Denim Day. We asked Charles to join us again for the podcast to share his story a little bit more. So Charles, you first shared your blog with us for Denim Day. Can you share with us a bit of the circumstances surrounded you're being sexually assaulted?
0: Well, we'd have to go back to 2002, which was a pretty chaotic time for me. I was a divorced father of two young daughters. I was living a closeted life as a gay man who was hiding my sexuality from my family, my colleagues, most of my friends, and most importantly, hiding this from my children. Plus, I was living and working in a part of the country that was not very progressive, and homophobic attitudes were rampant. Another major element at this time was the interpersonal relationship that I had with my birth mother. My birth mother and I had this sort of, I guess you could call it on and off again relationship ever since she'd first contacted me when I was 19 years old. Through the years she'd been in my life for a short period and then before I knew it she was gone again, but this time I was so intent on not letting her leave uh, again that I did whatever it took to keep her pacified, and this manifested some very irrational and immature behavior. One example that comes to my mind is we, we would get together for a night of binge drinking and sing karaoke. Still, you know, I was really thrilled at having these people in my life, I, I can say that, um, but I, in hindsight, I really had no idea how toxic they were to become to me and the people I cared about. I, I just couldn't see it. I guess the best analogy I can use is it's very hard to see the picture frame when you're standing in the picture. Consequently, I was juggling a lot of issues in my life in order to maintain this ridiculous idea in my head of who I was supposed to be and what I thought people wanted me to be. So it's a fair assessment when I say to you, Rebecca, considering all the circumstances I was handling then, I was already standing on pretty shaky ground, emotionally speaking, when I experienced something I never dreamed would happen to me. In my own home, after a small get-together with my birth mother, an individual stole a spare key and let themselves into my house and sexually assaulted me.
1: Do you want to share with us who your abuser was?
0: Well, uh, I will say this. He was, is uh, a male biological family member.
1: How did you cope with that after experiencing such a big trauma in your life?
0: Mm, not good. After the incident, I I thought I lost my mind. You know, I felt like I went crazy. I. I had no coping skills in place to deal with such a horrific experience. I felt fatigued all the time. I had trouble concentrating, making everyday decisions. I, I couldn't trust my memory. A lot of the time, I was very numb, no effect, uh, flatline, you could say. Matter of fact, I isolated myself from people, which I can tell you now is one of the worst things a person can do. Physically, I had such muscle, muscle tension that uh, getting up just to take a shower it really took about all the energy I had, and at least that's how I felt. I resigned from my job, I lost, my, I lost time with my children, and the biggest way I coped was through the mixing of alcohol and prescription drugs. I just drank all the time, day or night, it didn't matter because you know, it blunted the pain, at least temporarily, until I had more to drink.
1: So, Charles, I know that I've uh, told my story through United Way, too. So we're both survivors, but of very different experiences. So I have to ask, um, after your abuse, survivors often blame themselves. Did you blame yourself for any part of your abuse?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Because there had been drinking the night the assault happened, I continually heard this voice in the back of my mind saying, well, you do know he and his mother had been drinking heavily the night it happened, so he must have encouraged it in some way. And because I you know, I had struggled with my sexuality for my entire life, battled self-esteem issues, really, I thought, did I do something that gave this individual the idea that this was something I would want or that I would say yes to? And I also thought that people would say, you know, it's just a gay thing. There's an irony there to me, too, because what keeps a lot of male sexual assault victims from coming forward is the fear of people thinking they're gay. But in my case, I really was, and to me, that made it all the more confusing. I just kept playing it over and over and over in my head, and to the point I I literally thought my brain was gonna explode, and um, I was really consumed with guilt. Today, I know that just because someone had too much to drink does not mean they give consent to sex. When a person is incapacitated by drugs or alcohol, they are unable to give consent. It's as simple as that.
1: So I know um, you tell your story now. We mm-hmm. both have, you know, it's another sort of maybe coming out. Sure. Is getting that freedom of oh, telling your story. I never thought about it like that. That's, so It just popped into my head. I was I like, like that. huh, that's interesting. Yeah. but No, that's good. did you have, like, what were the reasons that you didn't talk about it at first? I know you, was, mm-hmm. you mentioned mm-hmm. struggling with your sexuality, but mm-hmm. were there other things that kept you from telling someone?
0: Mm-hmm. Overwhelming shame. Um, I dealt with shame before from bullying and the feeling of self-loathing for being gay. But I, I wasn't prepared for just how insidious the shame associated with sexual assault can be to a person. Uh, I was terrified my children would find out about my sexuality and stop loving me. I know that that's irrational thinking, but you know that's what I was thinking at the time. But I, I would have to say the most crucial reason I never had the courage to come forward right away is I didn't think anybody would believe me. And I guess looking back too, I I was worried I'd be such a disappointment, you know, to my parents who raised me. They're gone now, but they were not the kind of people who would have said, son, we love you no matter what, meaning unconditional love, and we're gonna stand by you no matter what, and together we'll get through this. So I felt very alone, really.
1: Can you also share with us what made you decide to seek professional help?
0: Well. I I had suffered from so much extreme anxiety, a sense of inadequacy, suicidal thoughts, disassociation. I had major depression. Um, I think maybe you could even call it post-traumatic stress. But ironically enough, the thing that made me know that I needed to get help, I was taking out the trash from where I lived, and the trash consisted of nothing but empty vodka bottles, spent wine boxes. I wasn't a picky drinker you know, and a bunch of other empty liquor bottles. And I thought, this is not normal. You know, normal people don't take out trash like this every other day. I just knew that I had to do something. So I did go online. I found the Healing Center, which is a resource in Milwaukee for victims of sexual assault. And I went and I got both individual therapy and I participated in two male survivors groups.
1: I also went to the healing center, so we'll give them a nice shout out on our podcast. They're Uh, awesome. Yeah, especially, like, I keep mentioning that we had very different backgrounds. Mine was child sexual assault, and yours was um, sexual assault as an adult, so. Um, They help everyone, so that's another thing for survivors who are listening to really take notice. There are resources out there. But I'd like you to talk a little bit more about your therapy, um, especially the group therapy. That's not something I partook in. So can you share something significant that you took away from group therapy?
0: Sure. Um, I'll give you two very important things. Uh, First, I learned that what happened to me was not my fault. Regardless of the circumstances surrounding the sexual assault, I didn't do anything wrong. I can say I wasn't alone there because the men in my group suffered terrible, unspeakable acts of abuse themselves. And so we were all damaged in different ways, but we were still able to come together to heal and and become a support system for each other. And I learned about the transforming power of forgiveness, uh, specifically forgiving oneself.
1: I know my abuser died, and I was told well after the fact, so I didn't have to see him again. Mm but can you share with us what the situation is with your abuser, and have you been able to forgive them?
0: Well, I have no contact with him. I don't know what's become of him. And forgive him, um, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting question, Rebecca. I guess the short answer is I haven't reached a place where I've been able to forgive him. But I'm not going to say it isn't within the realm of possibilities. I, I would like to know that he has accepted responsibilities f- for his actions, and that he's sorry.
1: When I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, you know, I share that my abuser died, and I never um, had an opportunity to to confront him, and Mm -hmm. maybe as an adult I would have liked to Mm -hmm. because I was a child, Mm -hmm. but hearing the things you said, like, maybe I could forgive them, but I'd like to know if they're sorry, or if, do they regret what they've done? Or the reason. Right, like, why? why? Exactly, Exactly.
0: (laughs) why, why? And we know sexual abuse is about or sexual violence really is about control, but mm-hmm. why? Why did this happen? What What was going through our, their mind? That's right. It's and something that I think just runs through our minds. Did
1: they need help, and that was why they were doing something? There's so many questions, mm-hmm. and there, their are answers mm-hmm. that neither one of us are ever going to get. But I, it's weird to say, but I'm enjoying our parallels, even though we oh. are from very oh, different good. backgrounds. So, I'm like you said, like you're never, you're not the only survivor, but mm-hmm. your story is unique, and I. Um, I think for people to hear two very different backgrounds have such distinct parallels that we're mm-hmm. finishing each other's sentences there for a few <laughs> seconds. Right. And we're not so. even
0: married. Right. So.
1: <laughs> We've only met a handful of times. Right, but, right. So that's interesting and I think um, encouraging for mm-hmm. people who are dealing with things like that. I hope so. so. I, really, yeah. I really do. So how do you feel you're doing today?
0: Oh, um, you know, I'm living an authentic life and it feels great. I'm in a really healthy, mindful place. Uh, I have a loving and supportive partner who encourages me on a regular basis. My daughters, well, they're doing terrific, and our bond is stronger than ever. But um, I think it's important for people to know I still battle, you know, I still have moments of despair and depression. It's ongoing. It's a journey, really, for me. Except now when my demons resurface, I, you know, thanks to the Healing Center, I, I do have the tools to cope with them in a healthy way. I feel stronger than I've ever felt before. I certainly wouldn't want to have gone through this. If I could go back in time, I wouldn't choose to go through this again. But on the other side of on the other side of it, I it's it forced me to look at and contemplate issues that maybe I might not have uh, consequently like I said, it's made me a healthier but a more resilient person. Victor Frankl, he's another wonderful writer, he said, what is to give light must endure burning. And so I feel like I'm shining now, really, because mm-hmm. I've been through the fire.
1: I first shared my story on our blog, and we asked you to write a blog as well, but you're, you've become kind of a very public advocate for victims of sexual assault. Can you share why it's so <clears> important <throat> that you do that?
0: Well, I want to help the public understand the impact you know, let me say that again, the impact this terrible crime has on, on men and women. I want to continue to dispel myths surrounding sexual assault and, and get out the facts. People still, you know, today they believe these kind of myths like, it can't happen to me, or sexual violence can sometimes be the victim's fault, or, you know, I'm sure you've heard this one, they didn't struggle or fight, so it wasn't rape. Even in the 21st century, we need to educate people. You know. I'm sure you've heard this statistic, 80% of all sexual abuse cases, the survivor knew the perpetrator, and in many cases, it was a relative or friend or family member, like in my own. Um, and also, I wanna get this out that sexual abuse is committed by people of all different ages, sometimes starting when they're fairly young and committed with the same frequency regardless of socioeconomic status, race, or even gender. Um, One of the statistics for me, in particular, that was really poignant to learn was that um, one in six boys will be sexually abused by the time they reach the age of 18. And from a personal standpoint, I want to share my story and lend my voice to the others who say, no more victims. No more will we be silent and remain in prisons of fear created by our perpetrators. And I guess in a nutshell, Rebecca, you could say, I've gone from victim to survivor to advocate.
1: You know, I agree with you 100%, and I know that I'm very vocal about um, protecting children because my abuse happened when I was a child. Like you said, it does cross all lines, and I think the more people talk about it, the we're going to make it less likely to happen. Um, do, can you That's offer the any goal. Yeah, exactly. Can you offer suggestions for how others can help prevent incidences of abuse?
0: Well, there's a lot we can do. You know, there, there's like I said, be a mythbuster. Educate yourself about sexual violence. Share what you learn. Take what you learn and, and, and share it with your friends and family and coworkers. And you could forget about antiquated gender roles. I think if you look closely at gender roles and stereotypes. You see that studies find that most perpetrators have a rigid sense of gender roles. The next time you tell a child, girls don't play with trucks or that's not a boy's color, you have to think about what that message is underneath and, and where it comes from. Um, be the change you wish to see. You know, Model healthy relationships to others. Make sure you tell your children you love them unconditionally. Um, I think it's important to not fund sexism. Consumer activism, you know, it's very powerful, Rebecca. Don't buy magazines, don't rent movies, or subscribe to websites that portray women or men in sexually degrading ways.
1: I think that's all really good stuff. I mean, yeah, it's one of those things like be an upstander. You know, if you, th- you see something you think is wrong, say something. Say something. Yeah. People
0: still make jokes about rape. you know they think it's funny
1: all the time and
0: you know you could be looked at you know say it's in an office setting as like oh you know he's mr or she's mr right but you know um you have to you have to have that strength that courage to say um excuse me you know this is not funny
1: and i've used um i've actually done that in cases like i'll have friends who make a joke or something and I don't embarrass them in front of our group of friends, but, you know, kind of offline, I'll say, you know what, when you tell those jokes, I just want you to know that I'm a survivor and I don't think they're funny and you'll never hear a joke again.
0: The human heart is a really powerful source of energy. You know, it's capable of, of amazing things and, you know, when people act out of kindness and purpose, uh, something in the world can change. You know, it, it may not make the history books, it may not make the 6 o'clock news, but, you know, you volunteer. You go with a victim to the hospital, you know, in, in your quiet way. It helps to change the world.
1: So what do you think is next for you? Like, what's next on your agenda? Well, I'm really
0: excited because um, in the fall, I'm starting a speaking tour, visiting different colleges and various organizations. Um, I'm going to share my story. I'm going to be talking about the sensitive issues of sexual violence and help to raise awareness and help to prevent it. Uh, Also, I'm in the early stages of writing a book chronicling uh, my uh, sexual assault journey.
1: That's exciting. I think after your tour and um, when your book is on its way, we may have to have you back and Uh, chat again. I would love that. I thank you so much for joining us today. And um, I encourage our listeners to use the resources that we'll share, the resources that you shared with us today. And I think we'll be hearing more from you again soon.
0: It was a pleasure to be here and talk with you.
1: To learn more about the work of United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County, visit our website, www.unitedwaygmwc.org. A special thank you to Ethan and Maeve McCaig for providing the music and voice talent for our introduction. Living Local is produced by myself, Katie Kuhn, Melissa Hannon, and Brian McCaig. Are you interested in supporting our podcast? For more information and to get involved, visit our webpage, www.unitedwaygmwc.org forward slash podcast.